Well, good evening, church. Good to be here tonight. It's an honor to be with you and to be with my good friend, Brother Fleur. And it's an honor to be in Missions Conference. I believe the most important week of the year in the life of a church, it's sort of like your business meeting to see what you're going to do for the sake of the gospel for the next 52 weeks. And uh, trust the business meeting will go well. I have been in business meetings that didn't go so well. But when everybody's on the same page, it goes really well. I don't know why anybody wouldn't be on the same page about trying to get the gospel to the world. So it ought to be an easy business meeting for us this week. But uh, it's an important one. Would you join me, please, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7? I don't do this often. You can stand with me as we read. If you're able to stand, Luke chapter 7. There's so much in the Bible, it doesn't matter how many times you look at it, there's something always more to be found. This is a Faith Promise Missions Conference. And for it to be a success in your church and in your own life, it will take faith. It is not just a work you do. It has to have faith. And if it's not of faith, the Bible says it's sin. And if it's going to please God, it has to be by faith. And so I trust the Lord will help your faith to grow. And so to try to ascertain how that can come to pass, I think the Lord would have us visit Luke chapter 7 because we find a passage of Scripture where our Savior announces to us of the greatest faith he ever saw. So I, if I could get some of that, if you could get some of that that we find in this chapter, then maybe our faith will become what it needs to be so we can reach the world with the gospel. Luke chapter 7, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now when he had ended all this, his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue, then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, 
having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. God will bless his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would add your blessing in our hearts tonight. And Lord, that you would help us to find a type of faith that you're presenting to us here in your word. Thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things you've done in Victory Baptist Church and the things you're doing. But Lord, I pray you'd increase their faith. Lord, that we could see you do greater and mightier things, Lord, through the lives of your people that are here. And we'll thank you and praise your holy name for all you do. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. The man who had the greatest faith, what an odd place to find it. The Bible tells us in verse number nine, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I don't know if you are accustomed to looking through all the mentions of the Bible, but only two times in your Bible did Jesus marvel at anything. I'd say somebody that made the sun, moon, and stars, it takes a whole lot to impress him. Somebody that left heaven and came down here, somebody that knew what he knew, could see in the hearts and minds of people. You know, to marvel means to arrest someone's attention. It causes a person, when you use the word marvel, according to the old 1828, it causes a person to stand still, to pause, and to gaze upon something as if it is a wonder. Only two times in your Bible did Jesus marvel. One is in Mark chapter 6, in verse number 6. He marveled that the Jewish people would not believe. He marveled at their unbelief. It's hard to imagine people hearing and seeing the Lord Jesus Christ not believing on him, and he was overwhelmed. It, it caused him to pause. It caused him to gaze upon the issue as a great wonder why these people won't believe on me. The second time he marvels. It's not over a Jew, the Jewish people, but it's over a Gentile. Not over someone's unbelief, but over someone's faith. Because he finds the greatest faith in a place that you would not expect to find it. He didn't find it in Israel. You would think he would find the greatest faith from one of his disciples. What a condemnation. I don't know if how you would feel, but if I was one of the 12 standing by and Jesus said, this guy's got the greatest faith I've ever seen, I'd be thinking about my own. How is it that a man that had never seen Jesus, the Bible said he only heard about him. 
How could a man that never had seen him, never saw a miracle that he had done, never heard a sermon that he preached, had greater faith than the disciples that walked with him and talked with him and saw what he, had, what he did? Are, are, you, are you picking up on the marvel? As a matter of fact, he didn't find the great faith in Israel. He didn't find the great faith from a disciple. He couldn't even find the great, the great faith from the greatest prophet that ever lived. In this same chapter, in chapter 7, would you drop down to verse number 20? The Bible said in Luke 7, verse 20, when the men were come unto him, that's Jesus, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in the same chapter, Jesus says, There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. The greatest prophet didn't even have the greatest faith. He's questioning whether or not Jesus is really he. Do you see that? I think in this passage there's a lesson for us. If anybody, if anybody ought to have great faith, it ought to be we who have walked with God, have experienced God, have been saved by his grace, that have his spirit within us. We ought to have that great faith that is needed for the hour. But oftentimes, it is not found in us. It's found in the most unusual places, and I want to know why. I see some ingredients in this man's life. I'm overwhelmed by these centurions. You know, it's a message in itself to study centurions. The greatest declaration probably that was ever made was that centurion at the cross that said, truly, this man is the son of God. What a declaration by a centurion, a Roman soldier, a man who has uh, the command of a hundred other soldiers in a corrupt army, probably doing despicable things. Thank God for soldiers, but I think we know what their job is usually. The greatest declaration, the greatest faith, I'd say one of the greatest conversions you'll find, you'll go over to Acts chapter 10, you'll find probably for us, as you would see, one of the greatest conversions because the door of faith, the door of the gospel is open to the Gentiles and here's a centurion, a Cornelius, and instantly, immediately, he's ready to hear the message of the word of God and as soon as he hears, he believes the gospel and the Holy Ghost comes into him. He didn't even have to have anybody have their hands put on him. Like was in Acts chapter 8's text. It was a great, it was such a great conversion that the Jewish people marveled and would not even accept that conversion. And that was a centurion. This centurion with his faith intrigues me for several reasons. I think if your faith as a church is going to grow, if your personal faith is going to grow to where God can use our faith for the sake of the gospel, I think you'll have to have the ingredients that made this man's faith great. The first one. Verse number one says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant, watch the phrase, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. My question is, what, what is a centurion, a man of great position, a man of great power, why is he concerned 
about such a lowly slave in his house. He didn't just say he was concerned about it. He was dearing to him. The servant, this lowly one, meant so much to this centurion. He was willing to go out on a limb to try to save his life. He had compassion on the lowly. I see a heart in this man that I believe would breed forth faith. He had a right love. He already had a heart that was compassionate toward someone that was lower than he was. You know, people that are way up here have a hard time seeing us people that are way down here. Especially to be concerned about us, you know. We sometimes in all of our blessings and all of God's done for us as children of the living God, children of the king and kings and priests ourselves, we have been blessed. And sometimes it's a little difficult to have the heart of compassion toward the lowly. Therefore, we have to have pictures up on the screen to try to because we are not geared that way. We are not bent that way to have compassion on someone that's lower than we are. This man not only had a love and compassion for his servant, a lover of the lowly, but some, he, had, he had love for someone else. The Bible says, verse number five, would you look at it? For he loveth our nation. That's a strange thing. For a Roman soldier to love the nation of Israel. It's an enemy. It's a subservient role. For this man not only to love his lowly servant, but for this man to love Israel is a very unusual thing. Right. Romans and Jews do not mix very well. And this man loved the nation of Israel. Why? Where did that come from? How, as a Gentile soldier, did he have that compassion in his heart or interest in his heart toward the nation of Israel? This man also had good, close relationship with friends. Not just the elders of the Jews in verse number three, but the Bible says in verse number six, then Jesus went with them and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. This man has, you know, to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. This, this, has, this guy has endeared his heart to other people. And I just don't think in a hardened Roman Soldier, I think it's an unusual place, an unnatural place even, to have an occupier, a conqueror, to be loving all of these people. Because you know what most people love? They love things. You don't find great faith in people that love things. You find great faith in people that love people. You know what keeps our faith from growing? We're in love with so many things, we can't love people like we are love. This man had an ingredient of a heart in a place you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to find it. He not only had the right love, and, but, but I want you to keep reading. Look at verse 
Look verse number three. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, watch it, and he hath built us a synagogue. You know, that's the way it always goes with love. It's not just I love the nation. He proved he loved the nation by what he gave. Would you, would you see that verse 5? This is the most amazing thing. He hath built us a synagogue. This man built him a church. All by himself. Is anybody in the Bible with me tonight? I don't think that was a cheap. That was a great cost. This man had to be really a great giver to build somebody a synagogue. I bet you never built nobody a church. He said, well, I don't have the money. You don't know how much money he had. But he was a giver. You know what's amazing about this? He built them a church he couldn't even go to. He gave to something he did not get anything out of. You know where great faith comes from? It comes from a heart that's willing to give even if it doesn't get anything out of it. And the Jews, smart guys, you know. Jesus, you need to help this man. We know he's a Gentile. We know he's a Roman. He's an occupier. We understand that. He's a soldier. But, but Jesus, this guy, he built us a synagogue. Right. Yeah. What, what, what a giving man. And Jesus is going to respond to his giving with a, give, with a gift. Right. Given it shall be what? Yeah, given unto you. So he has love. He has a giving spirit. Then I see something strange in verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. So, <clears throat> two things here. The centurion sends the elders of the Jews to go tell Jesus, to go ask Jesus to come do this miracle. Then while Jesus is heading toward the house, the centurion knows evidently he's on the way and he gathers his friends together and say, go out there and meet him. And he sends them on an errand to Jesus to tell, to give him a message not to keep coming to the house. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time trusting people to do what I ask them to do. As the old adage says, if you want something done, not this guy. He has got confidence. <laughs> in the Jewish elders to go get Jesus' attention? He didn't do it himself. And then he's got confidence in his friends 
to go meet Jesus and get the job done without doing it himself? I'm thinking some of those guys are going to mess up the message. I'm thinking they're not going to say it just right. Do you know how offensive it's going to be? Say, no, don't, 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 don't come to his house. I'm thinking they're not going to communicate this very well. I mean, this guy's life is in danger, you know. His very life is on the line. I think I'll go take care of that myself. No, no. He has got confidence in other people. You know what I think? I think a lot of times we don't have confidence in God because we have never got to the point we can have confidence in anybody. You said, preacher, the Bible says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I know that. But I've also read over and over about Paul said, I have confidence in you. You know who that's written to? Corinthians. Anybody got a problem with that? I got a big problem with that. You know what hurts some people's effort for the, you say, preacher, what does that have to do with the gospel? Do you know what kind of confidence that you have to have in missionaries? You, you know what, you know what happens in a lot of people's life? I tell you what, them missionaries, I tell you what, I read a book where they just, they're missionaries. <laughs> and Brother Fleur is right on target with the book. I have been a missionary. I've seen things that make me sick. I've been, if I have to go to my men one more time and tell them we've got to drop a missionary for blank, I think I'm going to throw up. Is anybody with me? So what do we do? I tell you what, those missionaries, yeah, that's what they do about preachers. That's what they do about churches. That's right, they do. You, you know what the trap is? We're not going to have confidence in anybody to do the job. And you know where that comes from? I really don't have confidence in God. Paul writes this to Philemon. I have confidence in the Lord touching you. It's not that I've got such confidence in you. I've got confidence in God touching you. We have got to have confidence putting our, our money in the plate for the missionary to do the work of God. All of us, we don't have the ability. But somewhere there's got to be confidence expressed or there's no confidence in God. We're always, that person that's always doubting everybody and everything is crooked. Come on, amen. Bob Jones Sr. said this, the guy that says the preacher's in it for the money is the guy that would be in it for the money if he was a preacher. That's right, that's right. It shows the crookedness of our own hearts. This guy had confidence in other people. That's hard. You know what it takes? Faith. If you can't trust your pastor, you probably can't trust God. Oh, but he's a man and he can sin. Yeah, yeah, so like, just like you. Just like all these missionaries that need your support. What a heart for other people. Maybe, maybe we are such criticizers of other people that we can never grow our faith because we're always thinking the worst about every situation. 
And so our faith gets small instead of getting bigger because we see how rotten and how corrupt everybody and everything is. And pretty soon we have no faith anywhere. Not this man. He had the right love. He had the right giving spirit. He had confidence in others. He had confidence in Jesus. How does he know that the Lord can do this? And then go to verse 4. Another ingredient. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was what? That he was what? Worthy for whom he should do this. And then they tell him why he loves our nation. He built his son. He's worthy. Jesus, this guy, if you've ever done a miracle for anybody, this guy is worthy of you doing a miracle. Quit wasting your time on all those lepers and all those blind people and all. This dude is worthy of this miracle. You with me? Verse 6. Then Jesus went with him. It looks like Jesus thought he was worthy of the miracle because he's going that way. Would you agree with me? He didn't have to go there. There were a lot of people. In, not everybody in Israel was healed. Why is he going to go to this man's house? Jesus went with them. And when he was not now far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy. Are you, are you following your Bible? He's worthy. He's worthy. I am not worthy. Not worthy of what, sir? I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Seven, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Why are you sending the Jews? Why are you sending your, your, your friends? Because I am not worthy to even be in your presence. Amen. And please don't come to my house because I'm not worthy that you should step under my roof. Everybody else thought he was worthy, but he knew he wasn't. I think the ingredient that brings forth the greatest faith is a very humble heart. I'll give it to you this way. God resisteth the but giveth grace to the do you know giving is a grace? Yes. You know why some people will never give and some people will never have the faith? Because they don't qualify. That's right. They don't have a humble enough heart. Right. As long as we continue to think we're worthy. Come on now. Guys, here's a good test. If you were to lose most of your blessings tonight, you would probably be pretty upset about it. You know why we would be upset about it? Because 
We deserve that. We don't deserve to lose. <coughs> but we don't deserve to, to lose our income or... You have, we'll find out real fast how worthy we think we are when things turn south. Yeah, you're right. And you see our attitude about it. Yeah. You, know, you know, I really think, you know, can I say, I really think this. I really think we have way too high opinion of ourselves to have great faith. And we have way too high opinion ourselves to really get in on reaching the world for the, with the gospel because after all, we deserve a nice church like this and we deserve a nice pastor. We, need to, we deserve nice Bibles like we have and, and we, we, we deserve all of this. But the rest of the world, you know, that's just the, that's, that's their plight. Mm. We got people that will move their family halfway around the country to find a church but won't send a dollar across the ocean to get somebody else to church. You know why? It's a pride problem. It's a pride problem. I think Brother, Brother Wood was right. He, he said most of God's people need to go outside and smoke a cigar about that long so they'll have something to humble themselves and confess and repent. Because they never do it. I was praying this, this afternoon, and when I get back to my church, I think I'm going to preach. I don't know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to work it into a message, but I'm, I'm, you know what I believe? There are people in this church, just like people in my church, you hadn't got on your knees in months. And you think the altar call is for somebody else that's a downer outer in the church. Maybe our faith would grow if we would consider that we're not worthy of what we have. We're not worth. What happens is we sit in church long enough and we get used to the blessing. While the world goes to hell. And this centurion says, nope, nope, don't come to my house. I tell you what, if that was me, I'm too proud. I'd say, please come to my house. I want to, invite, I want to introduce you to my children. Right. I want you to walk through the house and pray over every room. Right. And this man says, I am not worthy of even getting your presence, let alone you be in my house. I'm not worthy. That's what he says. Probably until we say that. I'm not, I'm, I know people can say that and it mean absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, some people could say that out of pride. <laughs> I'm not worthy, so everybody says, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> it's like people that constantly put their self down waiting for the compliment. <laughs> oh, I, that wasn't good. That meal was awful. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was great. Really? <laughs> I'm not talking about all that fake humility stuff. This man is going to miss out on the Son of God coming to his house because he tells him not to come because he's not worthy of him. Right. 
We're not worthy of this, preacher. We're not worthy to have this perfect Bible in our hands. We're not worthy of this. That people died and shed their blood and was burned at the stake. We're not worthy of this. We're not worthy of living in the greatest, most blessed place in all the world. You're not worthy of what you have. I'm not worthy of what I have. It is so much easier to get to turn loose of things that you don't think you're worthy to own. Anybody follow me? I'm talking about the greatest faith. A man who had a heart for others, even if they were lowly. A giving man, though we didn't get anything out of it. A man with confidence in other people. A man who did not count himself worthy. He let another man praise him and not his own lips. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And then I see something else here. The reason that he gives the Lord Jesus to not come to his house is found in verse number 8. He says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. This man is concerned about the testimony of Jesus. He's concerned about how this is going to look. Jesus comes to his house because he asked him to, because this is a powerful man. This is a man that's used to telling all types of people to do things, and they hop, they hop to it, and they do it. Come, and he comes, do this, and he do. He's a man with authority. He's also a man under authority. He's got somebody over his authority. Yeah. So he's worried about this chain of authority. Right. Are you listening to me? Yeah. And he doesn't want it to look like he is telling Jesus what to do. So he says, no, 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 don't, don't come to my house because it's going to look like you are doing what I'm wanting you to do. And I don't want it to look like that. I don't want these Jews to think that you are obeying me or following my direction. No, 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 Lord. This is a man that understands authority. I'm not your authority, Lord. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know where great faith comes from? Great faith comes from obedience and understanding who the real authority is. You know where, where do we get the faith to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Because the one with the authority told us to do it. You know why we don't do it? Because... We don't have faith, and also because we're disobedient because we don't recognize that he's the authority. Correct. He says, give. Come on. He says, give. He, he says, go. Right. He's the authority. Right. Faith comes from obedient heart to authority, to know who's in charge. But if I'm in charge, then I get to do what I want to do. 
If I'm in charge, I can fail to do what I am told to do. And I don't, I'm not worried about the Lord's testimony. I'm worried about what I want. And this centurion says, Lord, I'm a man under authority. So he said, let's, let's just do it this way, please. I, I love this phrase in the, in the King James Bible. He says, which verse is it? He says right here, verse number, is this the King James Bible, sir? Yes. <laughs> verse number seven. Verse number seven. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He said, Lord, say in a word. Last time I checked, that's just one. Lord, if you will say one word, everything will be taken care of. He said, Jesus, all I want from you is one word. One word will be enough. Oh, what faith. A man, he's saying, Lord, I don't need a spectacle. I don't need you to come to the place and strike your hand over it. I don't need you to explain to me what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. All I need you to do, Lord, while you're walking on your journey, just say one word and everything will be all right. All I need is a word. You know what we need from God? We need him to explain everything. You know what you need? If you're part of this church, you know what you need? You need to get along with God and say, Lord, just say a word to me about what I need to do. I don't need to see it on paper. You, you don't have to show me in, in the budget. You don't even have to explain to me what's going to happen the rest of the year at my job or in uh, politics in this country. Or you, Just tell me, just say the word, and that's enough. I'll just, the word is all I need. You, you want me to go to the mission field? Just say a word. If I know my heart, and I, I probably don't, if tonight the Lord would come to me and say, Brent, why don't you go there? I hope that I have enough faith that he doesn't have to manipulate me right. or talk me into it right. or tug on me for a month. Or explain, is anybody listening to me tonight? What we want from God, we want God to make sure he makes it so plain and so understandable to us. And, and this man, he says, I just need one word. How many times did the Lord only give people one word? Come. Go. Repent. Believe. Give. Pray. How many words do we need? This man had such confidence in the word of Jesus Christ that he just needed one. What will the Lord have to do to get our attention for us to do what he wants us to do.
How many sermons do we have to hear? How many circumstances and speakings to our hearts of the Holy Ghost do we have to go through? How many invitations do we have to have? How many missions conference and missionaries do we need to hear? How many people do we have to see go to hell? How much worse does everything have to get before we finally have faith in the Word of God? As I'm finishing, I, I think there's something else in this story. I started trying to consider this and thought, Lord, you know, you, you saw a lot of people. You know a lot of people's hearts. Why? Why did you look at this Gentile Roman soldier and say, I've not found so great. I've not seen so great faith. I've not found it, not in even Israel. What did you see in this man? And I think this is what I think he saw in him. I think he saw all these things. Listen to me. I think... Jesus saw something of himself in this man. Was he not a lover of the lowly? Was he not a lover of the nation of Israel? Was he not a lover of his friends? Even those sinful friends, even that friend that betrayed him with a kiss on the cheek. Was he not a giver to the point that even when he didn't get anything out of it? Let me ask you a question. How much do you really think Jesus has got out of his sacrifice for you? You think it was a very good deal? I don't think it was too good of a deal. Not for the holy, precious, almighty Lamb of God. I don't think that's a very good trade. I don't. And then our Calvinist friends will come and say, well, that's why we say that, that Jesus Christ didn't die for everybody. His blood wasn't shed for everybody because Jesus is not going to shed his blood for somebody that it's not going to be efficacious or effective for. Oh, contrary, friend. He is the propitiation not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says he even bought the people that denied him. Even denying the Lord that bought him. Yes, his precious blood paid for every man's sinful soul. And what I'm telling you, he didn't get a lot out of that. He didn't get a lot out of that. I know one day we're all going to be in glory and there'll be millions. We're going to give him praise and honor and glory to God. But there'll be a whole lot more of them burning in hell than up there giving him glory. And he took their sins too. What did he get out of that? I see confidence in others. You'd think after Peter denied him, the Lord would say, you know what? You're disqualified. Because you didn't do it once, you did it three times. I think I'll choose somebody else to be preacher. Just got to be honest. He probably wouldn't be on my staff after the third denial. Right? You 
cursing, swearing fishermen. Everybody saw what you did. And you know what? I know what you're going to do later on. You're going to be a hypocrite about things. And the Lord puts confidence in him, doesn't he? You know who else he's put confidence in? Us. He's put the eternity of the whole world confidence in us. It won't be the angels. It will be his church. He's up there praying for us. And he's giving us the charge. You can do it. I got confidence in you. You're, you're stewards of the gospel. I've committed to you the mysteries of the gospel to the whole fate of the whole world. I'm going to put it in the hands of you people. Confidence. And then you know what else my Savior was? He was a man that humbled himself like nobody ever humbled himself. And he hung on that cross and said, but I'm a worm and no man. He took upon him your wickedness and my wickedness and the wickedness of the whole world and hung on that cross as a thief and as a murderer and as every other wicked thing you can ever imagine, he hung on that tree. You know why? Because he said, I know I can come down off the cross, but I'm a man under authority. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. And I'm not coming in my own name. And I'm not come to do my own will. I voluntarily submitted myself to the authority of my Father and it's not what I want, and it's not who I'm going to command, and it's not going to be how I want it to be, but I just want, Father, your word and your will to be done. I think he looked at that centurion, and he saw some things in his own heart. Now I wonder, if we believe what we say we believe, our blessed Savior's looking down from glory tonight, he looks in all of our hearts. Does he see in you and I tonight, does he see his heart in us? Does he see his, his sacrifice and his giving spirit in us? Does he see his confidence? Is it misplaced tonight? Does he see his type of humility down deep in Victory Baptist Church tonight? Does he see people that have submitted themselves to the authority of Almighty God and they're just trusting in that one word? We need great faith, but I'm telling you, until we get the ingredients, there's no great faith. So maybe we need to humble ourselves Acknowledge again that we're not worthy of all these things. Maybe we need to see we're not really the givers that we think we are because 
Because, preacher, to be honest with you, people give a whole lot more to the church than they do to missions. Did I just say something that wasn't true? People give a whole lot more to the church than they do missions. You know why? You get something out of that. You don't get anything sending something halfway around the world you'll never see again. Lord, increase my faith. Yeah. But increase my humility. Increase my giving spirit. Increase my love for people that are lower than I. Increase my confidence in your work and in your people. And increase my obedience to your authority. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.